Thanks for listening to the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. The Doug Gottlieb Show is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Check out the latest lines from World of Sports at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. Got to be 21. Present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, or Pennsylvania to play. Hope you are having a spectacular day. Um, so, Joe Judge gets fired. Brian Flores gets fired. Charlie Rice, who joins us on the show, he's been fired before. That, obviously, at the college game. Um, uh you you look on his staff and his offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, was fired in Denver. We keep going, and only really Mike Vrabel has been a success story, but Vrabel appears to be different than the rest of the Belichick coaching tree. Vrabel also spent time in Houston on Bill O'Brien's staff. Bill O'Brien's been fired. He's a former Bill Belichick assistant as well. So, like, look, here's I've learned a lot, actually, with the help of some very, very successful friends. Okay, very successful friends. And um, I've I've learned a lot in regards to um, maybe I don't know, mistakes that I've made, but also places for growth and how to handle how to handle new jobs and new situations. And and look, we're all. Our formative years are who, what, 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 there's a reason they're called formative years, right? Because that's where we're forming all of our opinions. That's where we're forming all of our thoughts, all of our well being, et cetera, et cetera. And in business, your formative years are wherever, not just your first big break is, where you first start, but also a place where. You were, or the place was, in fact, successful. I, I can only bring up my own, um, my own life and my own career, my own times, my own beliefs and thoughts and whatever, and explain to you that I, I worked for 10 years at ESPN. Right? Nine years in Connecticut, one year previous to that, where I was doing a local show in Oklahoma City. So my formative years in local radio were in Oklahoma City, a place called The Sports Animal. My formative years in sports television were at ESPN. The place was at its peak in terms of success, and I was somebody who bought into the culture. And what I've had to learn, and some of this is the hard way, and some of this is the, the easy way, is that even though you come into a place and they actually think they want part of that culture. There's an assimilation process and there's a way to go about it, which is very, very, very tricky. I want you to think about this for, for, for a second. Okay. Um, whatever you do in your life, imagine that somebody comes in and says, Hey, most of the ways in which you're doing you, you do you boo are actually not the best ways. How would you feel about that? 
I think Eric Mangini actually did a very good job with the Jets. If you remember, they were 9-3 and three with Brett Favre, and then Favre tore his bicep, played through it, and it was a disaster. He was fired shortly thereafter. Of course, Mangini also got a shot with the Browns, but as we've seen, many have tried. No one has succeeded in making the Browns a consistent success. Hey, Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, Brian Flores, Joe Judge, Romeo Cornell, who's still in the league with the Texans, wasn't successful as a head coach. And you could make the analogy in basketball, right? Go and look at the Duke coaching tree. Uh, Steve Wojciechowski had it going at Marquette. Then it fell apart quickly. He lost his gig. Chris Collins, Chris Collins was a longtime assistant, a former player at Duke. He's the first coach to take Northwestern to the NCAA tournament. But since that moment in his, I think, second year, it, 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 the Northwestern has regressed toward the mean. Tommy Emmerker has had some very successful years. He's the first Harvard coach to win an NCAA tournament game. But previous to that, there was failure at Michigan. I'm, uh, Johnny Dawkins is at Central Florida. They've had some limited success. And even though he's the coach at Stanford, and they had a, Stanford did was not the better from his tenure. So you start to point around, you're like, wow, why are Coach K assistants and Coach K assistants have lasted longer and been more productive than Bill Belichick's assistants are? Why are these spectacular coaches, historically great coaches? Like you can make an argument for John Wooden and for Bill Self or you or Roy Williams and and. And none of them would be wrong. But if I said Mike Krzyzewski is the most successful coach in modern college basketball history, you're not going to argue with that. We could make an argument about Chuck Noll, who won four Super Bowls. We can make an argument about Bill Walsh. Um, we can make an argument about Al Davis or whomever else in a coaching tree. If I'm going to say that Bill Belichick's the most successful professional coach of our lifetime, it's pretty hard to disagree with, right? But think about it for a second. Bill Belichick's crew, much like Mike Krzyzewski's crew, hasn't been, there. there is no heir to that throne. There is no mini Belichick that's been able to be consistently successful. There's no fruit off that tree which is going to spawn another tree. And so why is that? And this is, again, kind of lessons that I've learned. And you talk to people in the NFL, you know, talk to people in college basketball, and they all kind of say the same thing. The first part is that when all you know is how Belichick operates, you have to understand that's not the real world. Most franchises, okay, most franchises, don't have an owner that has nothing to do. And, and Robert Kraft does a great job of not being involved in most any of the football decisions. The, the Brady thing is the exception, and that's one of the ones that went bad. That's probably why he's so not involved in these decisions. But most owners, there's no, there's different levels of involvement. So you can't replicate the owner. You can't replicate that franchise's past. You can't replicate the setup that Belichick had when he got there, nor the fact that his team shortly therein was an outstanding team. They had a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback in Drew Bledsoe, 
and they frankly lucked out into Tom Brady and like the world just collided and everything happened at once and the Bills were down, the Dolphins were down, the Jets were down, the the, the Patriots were up. Plus, he was preceded um, at least on some level by Bill Belichick who had taken them to a Super Bowl and kind of established some of the culture. There's a book, I think it's called The First 90 Days and a dear friend of mine gave it to me two years into when I switched from ESPN to CBS. I'm like, man, why didn't you give this to me two years ago? He's like, you know, I was, I, I didn't know about the book until then. And the idea behind it is a good one in terms of business, which is it gives you tips along when you take a new job, steps you can to assimilate to their culture while if you're in a position of leadership, slowly invoking culture of your own. The problem with that is in the NFL, when you're the head coach, you're supposed to change the culture. And the only real you know, way in which you can see that being done is your time in New England. And so you copy what you see, much like all of us as parents, right? You ever, as a parent, you ever say like, man, I can't believe I sound like my dad. Why? Because the only thing you know is what you see and what you grew up, your formative years. You know, Cliff Kingsbury has been way more successful than anyone could have perceived. He spent some time in the NFL as a backup. He spent some time at Houston at Texas A&M. He, he, was, he was fine, but essentially he failed at Texas Tech before going to USC for a very short period of time, not coaching a game, and then getting the Arizona job. But you could make the case that his formative years in college were with Mike Leach. But because there were so many bumps in the road and because there wasn't outright success, even when he was in college or when he was in the NFL, that it's almost better to have learned from failure than learn from success. I mean, you had to let Joe Judge go. You just did. I mean, I, the, the third and nine full house formation quarterback sneak, that was the, I mean, that was the, that was the Chuck Pagano fake punt of the New York Giants. But the, the Giants wanted the culture of the Patriots. The Giants took the word of Bill Belichick that Judge could implore. And Joe Judge carried himself as if he was Bill Belichick, not realizing, one, there hadn't been a Parcells and any sort of culture already established. Two, you have a very different GM he was working with as opposed to Belichick. Three, Belichick had been a head coach in Cleveland and had likely learned from some of his mistakes. Four, Belichick then wasn't Belichick now. And the snapshot of what you think or how you think Belichick acted, you can't act when you first get to a place. The same is true with Flores. Brian Flores is guilty of being a, being a Patriot guy. Knowing that that way does in fact work. Knowing that Chris Greer, and I'm sure all those years spent in the time spent in New England, he probably looked at Miami was like, this place is a joke. They don't know what they're doing. That Chris Greer, he's not a great evaluator of talent. He's the one who wanted Tua. I wanted Herbert. I should win all these arguments. And you know what? He's right. But let me let you in on another expression. You can be right and you can be out of a job. You can be right. And you can be out of a job. And that's what's happened to Flores. And that's what's happened to Judge. And that's what's happened to Mangini. And that's what happened to Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien 
wasn't wrong to trade DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins wouldn't practice during the week. DeAndre Hopkins had, had reached, by his estimation, close to the peak of his career, and he wanted to be paid like it. And O'Brien knew he had to pay Deshaun Watson. He had other, So he traded him. But again, he was right, but he's out of a job. Why? Because he hurt himself with the standing of his quarterback. He hurt himself with the fan base. He hurt himself with his handling of, of everything. He was right. He was out of a job. Matt Patricia knew he wanted to instill toughness and tenacity and completely change the culture of the Detroit Lions. Dan Campbell, okay, Dan Campbell doesn't come from that sort of, he, he doesn't come from a silver spoon success background. He was the interim head coach with the Dolphins, a former tight end, a guy who just brought great energy. But because of it, he didn't care. come in with the arrogance of, hey, this is the way, it's the only way, only way to make it work. I feel like the Mandalorian. This is the way, this is the way. Judge, Flores, Patricia, O'Brien, hell, Jim Schwartz, Josh McDaniels, Eric Mangini, Romeo Cornell. You walk in with the badge of honor of being a Patriot guy, knowing the Patriot way may, works. But you also have to factor in that the Patriot way works in New England because of how that thing is wired. And when you sit down at somebody else's TV and their wiring of their stereo is all screwed up, you still have to be able to turn it on and understand how it all works before you come in and slowly start to fix things. There's a reason they've all failed. It's not because they don't know football. It's not because the Patriot way doesn't work. It's because of their formative years gave them a snapshot of what they think the only way to be successful is. And that doesn't take into account all the context with how it was built and how it's been maintained in New England. It's not just Belichick. They were fortunate to, they had a quarterback for 20 years who would not, who would commit to taking a little bit less to sprinkling it around. No, no one else does that. Nobody does that. If you can find a way to get that quarterback, none of them are doing what what Brady has done. None of them. That was a, that honestly feels more and more like an outlier than anything else. If you're a valued customer, you deserve a simple gesture of appreciation from your credit card company. And that's why Discover matches all the cash back you earned at the end of your first year. Discover exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Wait to hear what Aaron Rodgers had to say about Joe Judge, about how long he wants to play. Would he retire? And what I heard him say about Matt LaFleur. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Doug Gottlieb show Fox sports radio. Um, I wanted to listen to Aaron Rodgers, and I listened to the full interview he had on McAfee's show. And I found several parts to be really interesting, right? There was a part where they asked him about retirement and he, and, and whether or not, I think it, it's interesting. Like they kind of have license to ask him whatever, 
but they still tiptoe around asking him whatever. So instead of saying, hey, if you win a championship, would you retire? They basically asked him, like, what's, what's harder to walk away from, winning a championship or losing a, losing a big game? And I think he actually said it's easier to walk away from a championship, but the context was if you can still play at a really high level, you can, and this has always been my belief. This is the reason people are pushing far to retire. Why does he want to stay retired, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I thought Aaron nailed it in, in that he said, you know, look, there's just a limited time on earth in which you can, this is something I'm good at, right? You're really lucky if you're really good at more than one thing, but if you're great at one thing, that's a pretty good life, but there's only a, this is it. Once you stop doing this, really, you're not going to come back to doing it. You're just not. Once you get off that success train, you're not coming back. You might come back out for a game or two games, but you're not coming back out to lead a team. It's too hard. Once you're done, you're done. And Aaron said, when he steps away from the game, he's going to step away from the game. But I, I actually thought this was the, Joe Judge was fired yesterday. And I, I think there's a perception that John Mara did to Joe Judge, the same thing he did in the Eli Manning situation, right? They they had all agreed to begin the process of moving on from Eli Manning, and they were going to play. I was it was Davis Webb, I believe, was the third string quarterback, another Texas Tech guy at the time. They didn't think he was ready, and so they wanted to do a solid by Geno Smith. The problem with naming Geno Smith the starter, stopping Eli Manning's streak is. In that same stadium, Geno Smith had no he had no positive equity. For Giants fans, he's a former failed Jets quarterback. And for Jets fans, they never really liked Geno, and he didn't seem to like him back. I've talked to people on Geno. I don't know if he got a DUI. He refused a blood breathalyzer. I don't know what Geno's future holds. He didn't play well as the backup and sometimes started this year for Russell Wilson. But he did get good reviews. Like the reason he's still been in the league is as a backup, guys like Gino, as a dude, as a backup to just get the starter ready and be ready at a moment's notice. But that equity he had within the Giants locker room didn't extend to former Giants players who viewed Gino as a jet and a failure and the fans the same. And so John Mara ended up basically changing his mind. And at that point it was too late and everybody got fired and it's been a disaster ever since that that's really what happened. And the perception is he gave in to public perception. He gave in to the mob. I don't think that's what happened with Joe judge. Was there public pressure? Sure. Was there local embarrassment? Sure. What Were the stands empty? Absolutely. Mara, though, didn't want to be like, man, are we going to change coaches just to change coaches because we always change coaches? How are we ever going to build a culture unless, unless we stick by a guy through some tough times? Right? I brought up Mike Krzyzewski. I think it was like four years in. He was going through some tough times. Remember Brian Kelly at Notre Dame? You know, you go back five, six years ago, they had a terrible year. Notre Dame stuck by him. Michigan, they stuck by Jim Harbaugh after last year's, you know, last year and a half had been kind of a disaster, blown out by Michigan, blown out by Wisconsin. The pandemic year was bad. They stuck by him and look how they were rewarded. So I'm sure that John Mars like, man, maybe if we can just get by this. The problem is that football people had no time for Joe Judge. 
Take a listen to Aaron Rodgers talking about that full house formation, third and nine quarterback sneak. Third and nine on the minus five. Oh. Let's go in, in uh, goal line personnel and run a QB sneak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would, you, would, you would call timeout there? We'd audible? Hey, Call that one in, Matt, and let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> right? That ain't flying. Oh, that would be awesome. Fourth uh, quarter. Unbelievable. Right? When arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, you want to say second greatest quarterback of all time, is laughing at you, laughing at you. When every TV analyst is laughing at you, you have no choice. Again, we think we matter, and sometimes we matter too much as fans. Okay? And I'm sure that maybe Mara changed his mind because former Giants players came out and said, like, what are you doing with Gino for Eli and this whole, let, let Eli play out the season, let it, let it happen organically. But once you lose football, guys, you got to make a move. Doug Gottlieb show Fox Sports Radio. Jeff Schwartz joins us. He has the uh, his own podcast. Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you. Plus, he's the co-host of Fox Football Saturday with Steve Hartman, four to seven p.m. every Saturday on Fox Sports Radio. Um, of the coaching changes, which is the most surprising to you? It has to be Brian Flores, right? Um, yep. Kind of out of nowhere, he had started had some momentum. You, you felt like in Miami. Now this year was obviously very up and down. The slow start, the fast middle and the, and the slow finish. Uh, this kind of came out of nowhere, right? Because you thought, you know, look, the team played hard, good on defense, which is what you want to be if you're a defensive head coach. Just like if you're an offensive head coach, you hope your team's good on offense. Um, but, you know, then you see the reports come out and maybe he was a little tough to deal with at times and there's some clashing of personalities between him and the general manager. And maybe he did choose players a little bit more than we thought he did. But it comes down, I think, even more to whether or not he chose Tua I don't know if he wanted to or not, but the fact is Justin Herbert's just much better than Tua. Yeah. And when you're the coach, and again, I don't know how much he had to say in, in who they drafted, but it's a pretty bad look when one guy is a top, you know, five, six, seven quarterback, and the other guy, you know, hope maybe one day he's good enough to take you to the playoffs once or twice. You know what I mean? Like it's just that that's hard to deal with as a coach, and maybe that's the reason why there was some animosity there because he either didn't want, you know, he didn't want Tua, I mean, uh, didn't want to or did, and. It just seemed like it wasn't going to work out there, so they moved on from him. But I was surprised but, anyways. Well, there's, there's a couple layers to it. I'll just say this in regards to Tua. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. The Dolphins knew they were going to be bad all year. They had probably circled in on Tua right before he got hurt. And I will also give them credit. I think the Chargers, if they had a choice, they would have taken Tua as well, right? There was a, there was a man, he's banged up, and, but, but gosh, everybody was convinced Herbert's a guy that people had questions about, and now it's it's not even not even close. But it is you can't spend a year, a year and a half with with the idea in mind. And the Dolphins did. Hey, we got to find the next great quarterback because we haven't found one since Dan Marino retired. And then you pick the wrong guy. I'm just surprised Chris Greer's kept his job. I think that's the the surprising part because he definitely was in the in the Tua camp. Well, we've seen now that the general managers seem to keep their jobs more, right? They have the ear of the owner. When, when games are happening, who the general manager is sitting with, right? The ownership, right? He's not down the field. He's, he gets an opportunity to talk to the owner about, hey, this coach is screwing my players up, right? Like there's a little bit of that happening here, and GMs seem to outlive a lot of coaches. Uh, it doesn't make sense sometimes, but that's 
clear the way it's going to go, and now they're going to find a coach who, who you know, obviously his number one job will be getting to it right. Yeah. Well, there's also the Patriots guys trying to come in and be mini Bill Belichick's, right? Because that's their formative years, right? And that's yep. what they that's what they know. And I, I made the case to start the show. Again, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but there's a a level of confidence, maybe even arrogance, that you know that where guys try and be a copy of a copy, and it just doesn't work, you know. And and it's I think it's similar to Duke basketball because the Saban guys. It's obviously he just lost to one of his assistant coaches, but a lot of those guys haven't made it. But it's the the, the confidence, maybe even bordering on arrogance, the overall control that Belichick has, the way in which they do things. Like the Patricia, that thing was a mess. Um, I thought Mangini did better than how people want to perceive it, especially in New York, and they drafted well, and he set up Rex Ryan for success. But ultimately, obviously, it failed, and it failed there in Romeo Cornell. We kind of go through the list. Yeah. Is it is it that the is it almost a kiss of death that you have so much success in New England and you try and use that culture somewhere else and it just doesn't work because it's not New England? Well, hundred percent. And there's actually no New England assistants now in the NFL as head coaches. There's Vrabel who played with with Bill Belichick, but he wasn't obviously an assistant. So it is interesting. I put Andy Reid, and, and you heard Andy Reid say this often. He says, "Let your personality show." Right? He wants he tells his players that his coaches that. You know, when you're there, you don't feel like you're, you have to be Andy Reid to be successful in Kansas City. It feels like you have to be Bill Belichick to be successful while you're in New England, right? He's more controlling with how and, you know, kind of how your personality, how you're defined there. So I think that's why Andy Reid's assistants typically go on and become really good head coaches because he, he preaches, be yourself, right? I want you to be yourself. Now, of course, you have to kind of listen to what I'm saying and do what we want to do. But let your personality shine. Let, like show, show us, show me really, show the team who you are. And I think it's a big difference between the Belichick and, and the Andy Reid tree. Andy Reid tree is fabulous. Uh, and the Belichick tree just seems have the same stories, right? Same with Joe Judge, kind of, kind of bristly. You know, my question about the Andy Reid tree is this: Sean McDermott's been really successful in Buffalo, right? Yeah. But and he was an Andy Reid defense coordinator, assistant to Jim Johnson. But Andy Reid fired. They fired him. And then he goes to Carolina, and guys go to the go to the Super Bowl, and now all of a sudden he gets the Buffalo job, right? So it does. There is, it it it's almost like you need to have some sort of failure, to in order to succeed. I don't know. That's a, it's a weird one. Like, I mean, Cliff failed, now succeeding. Um, I don't know. It's 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 very very interesting. Um, it, where's Leftwich the best fit? Well, back to the point, but don't, don't we, in life, though, don't we learn a lot more from failures and victories, right? Like, we learn more from a lot of times, I mean, you can go, like, even Ed Orgeron, right? Failed as a coach and also won a championship at LSU, like, out of the blue, right? Like, you learn a lot from from your failure. Uh, look, Leftwich, to me, uh, anywhere that you need to, to, to tutor a quarterback, right? Whether it's, it's Fields or whether it's Tua, just somewhere, uh, Giants don't feel quite the fit there with, with Jones. I don't know how much, how long-term they want to keep Jones, but... Somewhere where we're developing quarterback is, is very needed because, you know, again, you draft Fields, he's your guy in Chicago. You draft Tua, he's your guy in Miami. He needs to go somewhere to develop a quarterback. I feel like that would be a couple of places where, you know, Minnesota doesn't feel a fit unless they're, it doesn't really feel like that would work very well. Uh, I, I think Chicago or. Yeah. Uh, with, Chicago or, or Jacksonville the, feels oh. like the right fit for, for him, and he played obviously oh, in Jacksonville. Yeah. 
right? I mean, you know, Chicago great. and Jacksonville, you have two really talented young quarterbacks. You've got a guy who's been with Tom Brady and figured out a way to kind of make it work and work with Bruce Arians. I don't know. That one, that one seems pretty easy. And, you know, like, obviously, the greatest picture in the history of college football is when he's at Marshall. Remember, his linemen are carrying him down the field, right? Oh, yeah. You, if you can get dudes to carry you down the field, you can lead a football team as a head coach. That's that's, yes. that's generally generally the way it works. Let, let's get to the let's get to the the, the games uh, first. Last weekend, I thought. By the way, I was listening to Aaron Rodgers' interview with McAfee, and he he he, he laughed off the idea of like what what we've said it was not like the what is this Raiders were going to take a knee thing, or the Raiders were were somehow going to play for the tie. They were going to run the football and, you know, and kick a field goal. And if it went in, it went in. If it didn't, they would go to the playoffs, right? So how did, how did this thing spin because of a timeout with four seconds left in the play cut? Yeah, so here's my, here's my take on, on the end of the game situation. Um, the Raiders ran the ball in second down. They came out in third down in the same formation. They were in the same play. It was going to be inside zone, mid zone, out of shotgun, you know, from, from right to left. Right to running backs on the right. He's going to run to the left. And they just kind of – that was what the play was going to be. I mean, everyone meandered up to the line of scrimmage. They, they took their time. And, you know, they were, the Raiders were, were playing hard in that moment. But, like, if they got two yards, all right, whatever. Three yards, okay, maybe we'll kick a field goal. Maybe we won't. Like, it just felt very much to me like the Raiders were very content. And the coach said, hey, we were, we were okay with taking a tie, right? We were considering taking a tie. And I think that timeout just changed – the Raiders mindset as, as a team. Like I think the Raiders are like, all right, well, you're going to call a timeout. Guess what? We're going to call a better run play. We're going to get under center and we're going to give you a shift and a motion. And then, you know, and then, you know, the, the, the chargers counter with a different defense and one guy wasn't in a gap and boom, boom. And now we get 12 yards or 13 yards, whatever it is, and kick uh, another field goal and, and be done with it. Like I just, I don't think they were taking a knee, obviously, but I just think they were like, yeah, we'll just uh, whatever happens when the play happens. Like, and I think that the timeout changed their mindset. They're like, all right, well, let's get a bunch of yards on this play, and and let's try a little bit harder to move in field goal range. And again, the, the timeout's not why they, the Chargers lost. They lost because they can't stop the run and they can't protect Herbert. They can't catch a football, and there's a bunch of reasons they they, they lost that game. Um, but the timeout, I just think at that moment, the Raiders were just very content with running out the clock. I, it wasn't taking me, obviously, but just like, all right, well, we'll just see what happens. They haven't been great, but they have been successful. They didn't get home field advantage throughout. I can't, though, There's I when I look at the a- AFC, how could I possibly not bet on not just Andy Reid, but Pat Mahomes? Am I wrong? Well, the Chiefs can either win the Super Bowl very, very simply. I mean, like they can just play their four best games a year and win the Super Bowl, or just lose, you know, lose by two touchdowns to Buffalo next weekend. And they're not, they're not losing to Pittsburgh this weekend. Um, you know, there's just a, a way they've played this year that's been very frustrating because they they have a lot of errors they make that are just self-inflicted and things you just haven't seen from Andy Reid teams, right? Whether it's Two straight weeks of bad special teams penalties, like the holding two weeks ago that, that brought back a touchdown against the Bengals, and then a, um, and it was unnecessary holding. Call it was a holding, but it was unnecessary. And last week, the same player uh, roughed the punter for no apparent reason, like he wasn't close to blocking the kick. And the turnovers this year, and just the offense at times just slows down too much, and there's drop passes, and just some weird things that happen we haven't seen happen before. And then again, the last couple of weeks. Defensively, some of the, the play calls have been odd for what the Chiefs did for eight straight weeks. And you just think to yourself, yeah, they just 
do what they're supposed to do, they're going to win the Super Bowl again. Like their their offensive line is playing so well right now with Kelsey and Hill obviously being healthy, and they have pass rushers. They have a secondary when they're playing more zone, not playing Sorensen so much. So they could totally do this. But they could also lose the Bills next weekend if the Bills come in and Josh Allen plays well and the Chiefs just continue to make errors, right? Eventually, that becomes who you are. They've had 18 weeks now of sort of the same games. Um, and, again, this weekend, the Steelers aren't very good. They should have no problem with them. But Buffalo's good. And if Buffalo beats New England this weekend, they come to Kansas City if everything kind of goes chalk with uh, with with um, other games. And I, I would expect that to be a much tighter game um, than the one this weekend. Uh, any upsets? <clears throat> Can you see an upset? Um, everyone's going to pick the Niners to beat the, the Cowboys. That that, feels that's mine. Very, very cliche this weekend. I will say, though, the Cowboys are pretty good. Um, super, super, ta- super, super talented, but yeah. with all that talent, the offense sometimes, eh, yeah, No, eh. exactly. It, it hasn't been great, and McCarthy is sometimes untrustworthy, but so is Jimmy Garoppolo, right? I mean, you know, the, yes. the, the Niners won that game the other weekend, and Jimmy had a great – Jimmy feels like he plays better in the kind of two-minute, not thinking, just have to throw the ball. But that whole second half was just the Rams uh, – I mean, the Niners' uh, offensive defensive line is just taking control of that game. And yes. Debo Samuel, just incredible. I mean, what he can do from the backfield and as a wide receiver. And and I, I just think – it's like the game gets under three points. I'm going to think the Cowboys minus two and a half gets that low. I just – I think the Cowboys are pretty good, um, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll go ahead and take them. Otherwise, upsets. I think the Raiders can win. Um, you know, they they played good football last month. I, I'd like to make fun of them as a Chiefs fan, but they played some good football. The Patriots can certainly win, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not tying the Cardinals this weekend, um, so that's where I kind of sit on my on my upsets. Schwartz, can't wait to hear you this weekend. Great job. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. That's Jeff Schwartz, former NFL lineman, co-host of Fox Football Saturday with Steve Hartman, 4 to 7, every Saturday afternoon and evening on Fox Sports Radio. What are the chances Rich Bisaccia gets the full-time job as head coach of the Raiders? Find out next. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Let's get to a game. This Fire. is game time. It's game time. On the Doug Gottlieb Show. Dan Byer, what's the game today? Doug, the game today is... What are the chances? All right, Doug. What are the chances that Bill O'Brien is a head coach in the NFL again as he will interview with the Jaguars tomorrow? Uh, I think better than you think. Bill O'Brien was a really good head coach. Bill O'Brien was not a particularly good general manager and... A lot like we talked about Brian Flores, those Patriot guys, and he was successful as a head coach of the Penn State as well. It's just the arrogance and the bristling, and the, so it's got to be the right fit. Got to be the right fit. Uh, I think sixty percent chance he gets another head coaching job in this cycle. All right, Doug. What are the chances that another head coaching vacancy opens up in the NFL this offseason? Are we considering the Raiders uh, open or no? Um, I, I would say yes, yes. But I think that there's questions about David Culley's future. Even yes, Pete I Carroll think, in Seattle's been, you know, brought up. I think there's um, a there's a ninety percent chance one more job opens. Okay, one more job opens. Culley's the one which, again, I continue to point out. Flores, those are all those ex Patriot guys. Flores, an ex Patriot guy. Culley is not. Culley is a, a former Baltimore Ravens guy. Um, that would be a guy that would intrigue me, intrigue me if I was, if I was in Houston. 
Now, maybe leading up to the question that you asked, what are the chances that Raiders interim head coach Rich Bisaccia gets the full-time job in Las Vegas? Well, if he wins this weekend, I can't see any way in which he does not. Um, but it's also the Raiders, and you got a, a uh, an owner who wants some sort of star name. I'm going to say in the 25% variety. They play hard for him. Play hard for him. And he is beloved in the league. Talk to guys like, man, I'm so happy Rich Passaccia got a chance. And they've played, played, played hard and played well. But it's still just a 25% chance because he is the interim for a reason. What are the chances this Sunday's game in Dallas is the last time that Jimmy G wears a 49ers uniform? A couple of different levels here. Yeah, I would say 60% chance. They're an underdog going into the game. And if they lose, that's going to be the last game he plays with the Niners. 60% chance. All right, Doug, what are the chances the Memphis Grizzlies finish in the top four of the Western Conference? They're in the fourth spot right now, just behind the Jazz for the three spot and five and a half up on the Mavs, who are in the fifth spot. 75% chance. Memphis Grizzlies are a real team. It's not just John Morant. Okay? It's, it's, it's not. Desmond Bain is the surprise of the league. M- Memphis will be a top four seed, 75% chance. That's game, huh? Game time. This is game time on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Saw an amazing talent last night. Um, Auburn has a player. His name is Jabari Smith. Jabari's dad, I played against me, played at LSU. Jabari's one really bright kid. Really talented. Oh, is he good. Oh, man. Um, I can identify for you who knows and doesn't know what's really going on. Share with you next the Doug Gottlieb Show.